This is episode 247 of the Anus Podcast. This podcast is on anarchist activity ideas and comments from the previous week on anarchistnews.org. this segment of a reading from the anarchist library i will be reading what the prison abolition movement wants by kim kelly why do we take prison for granted esteemed american author activist and professor angela davis posed the question in her 2003 treatise are prisons obsolete a work that encouraged readers to interrogate their understanding of the u.s prison system Davis, as an abolitionist, rejected the idea of stopping up reform, arguing that focusing on making small improvements inside the walls decenters the larger goal of decarceration, the process of freeing people from institutions like prisons and detention centers. Prison abolitionists are dismissed as utopians and idealists whose ideas are at best unrealistic and impracticable, and at worst, mystifying and foolish. Davis wrote, This is a measure of how difficult it is to envision a social order that does not rely on the threat of sequestering people in dreadful places, designed to separate them from their communities and families. The prison is considered so natural that it is extremely hard to imagine life without it. Sixteen years later, society at large is still struggling to provide an answer to her query, or to meaningfully address the plague of mass incarceration, even as conversations around criminal justice reform and abolishing the death penalty have picked up steam in the political arena. However, prison abolitionists, those fellow utopians and idealists Davis mentioned, have not only been able to imagine a world without cages, but have spent decades working to bring that vision closer to reality. In places as far flung as Washington's Walla Walla State Penitentiary and New York City's notorious Rikers Island. So what does it actually mean to envision that kind of world? Prison abolition is at its core an ideological and political organizing project that seeks to not only tear down existing prisons and jails, but to create an equitable society which addresses the core problems that lead to incarceration, thereby rendering imprisonment itself a form of punitive torture obsolete. Its proponents view restorative justice and community investment as more humane, equitable means of addressing social ills and reducing violence. They seek to end the criminalization and persecution of marginalized communities, particularly those living in poverty. As Ava DuVernay's 2016 documentary on prison slavery, 13, laid out with wrenching precision, the U.S. criminal justice system was crafted from the beginning as an instrument of racist terror. It's no surprise that DuVernay identifies as a prison abolitionist herself, whereas the abolition movement operates from an explicitly intersectional racial justice-focused perspective. The movement has been around for decades and came to prominence in California in the 1990s with the founding of the Critical Resistance Project, a national anti-prison organization with an abolitionist focus that was co-founded by Davis and Professor Ruth Wilson Gilmore, an influential model laid out by the Prison Research Education Action Project. In a 1976 pamphlet highlighted three pillars of abolition, moratorium, a ceasing of construction of new prisons, decarceration and excarceration. 
diverting people away from institutions that may bring them into contact with law enforcement and the prospect of prison. Examples of excarceration can include decriminalizing drug use, decriminalizing sex work, or effectively combating houselessness. Prison abolition differs from the prison reform movement in that its focus is on overhauling the entire system, not making improvements to existing structures. Though some abolitionists incorporate elements of reform into their work as a form of harm reduction for the people who are currently in prison. Prison abolitionists call for dismantling the police and immigration and customs enforcement and redistributing the resources used to fund them back into housing, health, and economic opportunities for underserved communities who suffer most from systemic inequality and deprivation. They also point toward the U.S. capitalist economic system as a major cause for the conditions that have led to the current crisis of mass incarceration. Capitalism has to go. Abolitionist and educator Mariam Kaba told MSNBC's Chris Hayes, It has to be abolished. We live within a system that's got all these other isms, and we're gonna have to uproot those. So we're doing work every single day to set the conditions for the possibility of that alternate vision of a world without prisons, policing, and surveillance. Critics of prison abolition often ask, then what will happen to the murderers and rapists? But as proponents of this project are quick to point out, the current system already fails to address that problem and consistently fails to provide opportunities for rehabilitation to those imprisoned within it. Restorative justice and transformative justice processes can offer additional answers and are an important part of the conversation. But some abolitionists prefer to look at the bigger picture. Instead of focusing on the hypothetical question of what should be done with the perpetrators of violent crimes, they ask how communities can address the underlying issues negatively impacting people's lives and build a world in which people don't feel driven to make bad decisions in desperate moments. When people tell me, What are we going to do with all the rapists? I'm like, what are we doing with them right now? Kaba told Hayes. They live everywhere. They're in your community. They're on TV being outed every single day. You think that that system is doing a deterrent thing that it's actually not doing. Gilmore, a renowned geography professor who has been involved in the prison abolitionist cause for over three decades, sees it as a long game. Her long-term strategy has included advocating for public policy changes halting states' plans to build new prisons, and calling for them to close existing facilities. In her estimation, shared in a joint piece with formerly incarcerated writer and activist James Kilgore, everyone who says is unrealistic to demand more, willfully ignores the fact that to use law enforcement, as the U.S. does, to manage the fallout from cutbacks in social services, and the upward rush in income and wealth, is breathtakingly expensive, while it cheapens human life. Part of that issue lies in cuts to the social safety net, specifically in the area of mental health care, and the gradual shift towards prison functioning as mental health facilities. As Gilmore wrote, Yale expansion has been shocking along largely because law enforcement continues to absorb social welfare work, mental and physical health, education, family unification. To imagine a world without prisons and jails is to imagine a world in which social welfare is a right, not a luxury. New York City's ongoing No New Jails campaign is an example of prison abolitionists organizing at work. In 2017, when the city announced that it would finally be closing the blighted, the blighted Rikers Island jail complex after decades of pressure from activists, media, and human rights groups, the move was seen as a victory. 
but in October 2019, the New York City Council voted to allocate $8 billion to build four new jails across four of the five boroughs. The decision was met with fierce opposition from local prison abolitionists who had launched the No New Yales campaign in response to the initial 2018 announcement of the plan. The city line is that new jails will be part of a shift toward a more humane version of its criminal justice system. Abolitionists countered that there is no such thing as a humane prison. No New Yales was organized around the principle that there is no need to build any more Yales in New York City and that the billions of dollars budgeted for new Yales should be redirected instead to community-based resources that will support permanent decarceration. Its members have kept up a presence at hearings and council meetings. That community resistance continues, but for now, Rikers has already begun moving people incarcerated in the institution Eric M. Taylor Center to different facilities. One of two jails the city plans to close by March 2020 as part of the larger plan to shut Rikers down. The island jail is only one example, though in the interest of full disclosure, it is a personal one for me. One of my close friends is currently incarcerated there. The number of prisons, detention centers, and jails, and those confined within them continue to climb, and abolitionists continue to have their work cut out for them. According to the Prison Policy Initiative, as of 2019, the U.S. criminal justice system holds almost 2.3 million people in 1,719 state prisons, 109 federal prisons, 1,772 juvenile correctional facilities, 3,163 local jails, and 80 Indian country jails, as well as in military prisons, immigration detention facilities, civil commitment centers, state psychiatric hospitals, and prisons in the U.S. territories. There is still so much work to be done to address the evils of the U.S. criminal justice system and liberate those who have suffered its abuses. But prison abolitionists are used to demanding the impossible and will continue fighting tooth and nail until every cage is empty. Since I was little, I had a big imagination. been dreaming of a paradise Somewhere a little Topic of the week, imagine abolition. Imagine tomorrow all prisons decide to let everyone out and after they're empty, they're imploded. What would happen next? Yeah, that's it. Greetings, Anarchy Land, Ariel here. Uh, I am sitting with Post and Tori, uh, and we are gonna talk about magical abolition and what happens next. Um, and the question leads me to want to know how much of the population just got, you know, 
just shifted from being housed to not. In 2019, an estimated 6,344,000 persons were under the supervision of adult correctional systems in the United States. So, hmm. Suddenly, six million people have to find somewhere to go. Which is not by by any means the most interesting perspective to take on the conversation. But if you really want to talk about what happens next. Yeah, see, this is why I love Bolo Bolo and, you know, not everybody does. So, thoughts. Post, take it away. Oh, man. <laughs> wow. Okay. I just want to find out that we're all here because of Tori. <laughs> and Tori just did pass that buck. Like, for real. I live. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, nothing like the meaty topic to, you know, talk about like this. But, um, let's see. I was kind of thinking of, I'll probably put aside Ariel's question for, for, <laughs> for a bit, for, for a minute. But I was thinking, I was thinking about this question kind of in two ways. We could think about it in the what ideally we could think about, you know, what would abolition mean, et cetera, kind of conversations that people have already been having and what would actually happen or like our more pessimistic views of what would happen as it, which in my opinion or what I would think would be more akin to maybe like a heightening of racial tensions that have already, that have been existing for the past, you know, existence of the United States and et cetera. Um, just because it would probably be a lot more racialized groups seeing in plain view uh, either being homeless or just living in social centers. Kind of like since we already seen what's been happening with this with the aftermath of the George Floyd rebellion. And there are a ton of people like people like Asian American groups, Latino groups, white Americans already buying a shit ton of guns because of that fear of being you know, quote unquote BLM and they would see this, you know, disappearance of incarceral uh, institutions as kind of like the confirmation of their fears and it would, and it would lead to just a lot more possibly vigilante violence, possibly, you know, just more assaults. I guess I see things a little bit differently. I think it could go so many ways and I think that it's a more fun question than Ariel could ever give it credit for because of that. Uh, I think that it could go the everyone starts weeping. It could go everyone starts rioting. It could go the class war or the we were the folks you left behind. What do you have for us? Um, or it could go the way that the Ruth Wilson Gilmores and Angela Davises of the world want with restorative practice and um, meditation and self-regulation being in the core. It could be a lot of things. Mm -hmm. Um, To me, I think that if all of the prisons imploded after the people left, there would mostly be confusion because you'd still be left with all of these horrible systems that need to be imploded as well. So I, I don't think it will bring the relief that people are seeking with this premise, but I would still want it. Um, Mm -hmm. And I just, I would still want it to happen. I just don't think it will bring all the relief that we're hoping for. Um, And I think it should happen all at once like that. I don't think that there needs to be a gradual process 
to release people. Um, but I guess there's more, there's kind of a more interesting thing I want to know about, which is, does it matter if people, does it matter if everyone's released all at once? Will they have what they need to rebel? Will they have the drive to rebel? Will other people support them in that? And is that even an interesting question? Is it obvious that people freed will celebrate and rebel? I don't know. I don't think that's obvious. I mean, you know, it, it, if you, if with no strings attached, you are given your freedom, what do you want? I mean, I get the fuck out. That's, I mean, I don't even, I don't spend any time on revenge for these specific people. I mean, maybe for something personal, mm-hmm. um, for like a specific person uh, that tormented me. Uh, but other than that, I think I'm leaving. And do and, and for people who want that revenge, do they want that revenge more than they want to see their loved ones? More than they want to go home? More than they want to, like, test the bounds of their freedom and make sure it's real, right? Yeah. So the, the, the what would happen next depends on whose perspective you're trying to embody from having this discussion. There are the prisoners that are released. There are... There is your average American who is mostly pro police and pro prison going and just in general terrified, just terrified. Absolutely. I joked today that if you told Americans that plants were going to come invade their home, you (laughs) could sell them something to protect themselves for that. Like if you told them. So then what do they want? And what's the rhetoric in their world, right? We know how good that world is at stirring up its people and terrifying them and putting them into a frenzy of fear. And what is that? how does that frenzy of fear play out when presumably if there are no prisons anymore, then some sense of what the consequences are for horrible actions is removed. And I'm, and I'm, you know, and obviously I'm not talking about people who are interested in a different kind of justice. I'm talking about people who only understand this kind of punishment or not. So does that mean that, you know, is there a percentage of the population of good old boys with hunting rifles who are now willing to turn them on all of those people that they never turned them on on before because the death penalty is off the table? Because spending your life in prison is off the table. I don't know the answer. I don't know if that's true. And this Or they possibly just don't live in a place where... Or they don't live in a place anymore where you can just kind of, like, do that good old boy shit and have a community backing you. Sure. Like, you know, some places in Texas are definitely still like that. Yeah, absolutely. And and none of and none of this speaks of the capitalists. The prison complex is a... Oh, yeah, we're all there. What? A multi-million yeah. dollar... I mean, you know, again, this, I'm sure this is something else that I could Google. What is... How, how large is the U.S. industrial com- prison complex? How much money... Are all these prisoners worth? And that's literally just dollars slipping away from any number of and so many industries. Corporations. I mean, from and food products to clothing yep. to services to service work like firefighting. We're talking about a huge labor force lost slave labor, but yep. yes, labor force nonetheless. So, yeah, yeah. Another supply chain crisis stuff possibly moved overseas to not China necessarily but maybe Indonesia I mean but do we even get that far do we get do we get that much time (laughs) because we are talking about 6 million people and you only need 2 million of them to be real mad (laughs) (laughs) well I'm ever the pessimist 
is the reality of the sheer numbers, yes. <laughs> and what percentage of the prison population is people of color? Exactly. It's a majority. Above, I, don't, I don't know the number off the top of my head. It's above 70, I believe. But, it could, but you know, it's, it's like lovely things that our listeners can Google to help punch up the conversation. Sorry, I don't have it um, memorized for you folks. It's not my favorite topic. <laughs> <laughs> what are we going to do, or, you know, or do we have the networks, as anarchists, do we have the networks to help political prisoners that we've been trying to help and out as much as we can? Um, what do you I mean, mean when you say help? Like, do we have the networks? Yes, probably we do. But what is help? Uh, I, yeah, I guess. Reintegrating into what? Because if these it, prisons yeah. have exploded, I feel like that's not a singular thing. I don't feel like we should even think of it as a singular event, but mm-hmm. the purpose of this question, I think, is to think of it as that? Question mark. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't have an answer to help because that was just off the top of my head. I was just thinking, oh, I guess also Ted K and home. <laughs> And uh, everyone else, just that kid was the first one off the top of my head. But um, yeah, they're all free now. So, Do anarchists have a responsibility to any and all freed prisoners? My answer to that off the top of my head is no. Okay. Uh, because though the criminal punishment system gets it, gets it wrong, gets it wrong, point blank, there are some people who've done some deplorable shit uh, that I don't care to serve or help or to be around or to do anything for. Sure. So I guess my answer as an individual is no. And then because I think of anarchists as a collection of individuals, I'm going to say no. Yeah. I mean, it's a loaded question because, of course, the point is that we all get to make these decisions for ourselves. I could, But I could see there being lots of lots of shift to people making their work, prisoner support. For people being released, uh, that that being the the new anarchist hotness project, um, where people are going to put their time and energy, and people starting to sort and pick and choose, yeah, and decide who's worthy and who's not. And so I'm thinking about. But so much of that is already how, happening. How who gets letters? Who doesn't? Sure. Who gets books? Who doesn't? Sure. Um, yeah, the scale would just increase. Yeah, it would. Say. It would definitely increase, sure. and I think. There's something deeper for us to look at about who are we to choose, who gets the support, and how do we make that choice. More To look at that more than to look at if people are... Like the, the discrepancies between some prisoners who are freed and some who aren't, if that makes sense. Like the, yes. the material discrepancies. Sure, yeah. I, I, that makes sense. I get that. And I mean, but part of the response is that we get to decide because it's our time, right? This is this is my time. This right. is my energy. Um, so much about prison, though, is not just about the physical space. Like, yes, it is important to talk about the physical confinement. Right. But so many people leaving prisons are still trapped mm-hmm. under the eye of, like, under the domination of prisons. Right. From how they walk around, how they enter rooms, uh, waiting, pausing before each door, mm-hmm. um, just the conditioning of that. Um, so it's a lot bigger than that. Most definitely. Yeah. I'm just realizing how big of a thing this is, actually. Right. But you hate this question. <laughs> Hate's too strong of a word. No, hate is way too strong of a word. I... Aerial sighs and I... sighs again and eye rolls. <laughs> I don't... I am not a fan of 
all the options questions. Because I, <laughs> I, I think in the end, the answers tend to be less interesting because we have to dance around all the possibilities. Um, and this is, and so, you know, this falls into the catch-all, what are the options questions. Now, as we talk, we're finding focus and we're drilling down, uh, and that, and that, I think that's how you get more interesting conversations. But I do appreciate that, or at least for me, as we wade through all of this, it could still, it's, it still feels like a net gain. I feel like it's it's still the better option. It's definitely. And whatever it is that comes next. We'll deal with it, and and I mean, it won't be dealt with well because there's a lot of very broken and mentally ill people in prison who didn't get the help they needed before they went in, and that's part of why they're there. And we do not live in a world that's built to help these people coming out, or even help us reintegrate them into communities Absolutely. or otherwise. I... So I I guess I would say that I would I would hope that anarchists would would be would take a really like hard tactical look at where can we best put our bodies and our minds and our resources into helping people who come out regardless of their political affiliations, regardless of why they're there. Um, And I mean, I hold a somewhat unpopular approach when it comes to prisoners. Um, I'm not particularly interested in your crime or why you were arrested. this is this is a society that has built an entire industry and made lots and lots and lots of white people rich on the backs of all of these people, mostly people of color. And that's the point. And that's where the story is. And so I want to lend a hand to anybody that has to go through that and get spit out the other side of that. And all the reasons why before don't really matter that much to me. Um, or put differently... I didn't have to go through it for so many reasons and I'm I'm not interested in splitting the hairs of judgment um, I'm not interested in playing that game of morality uh, on people who did have to go through it uh, and most anarchists think not, most anarchists think I'm incredibly wrong but most anarchists are also Christians so and I'm not <laughs> so I think that that's the most interesting part of this discussion that people are already, I mean, that's, that is the most interesting part of the whole abolition discussion in general. Mm -hmm. Not that you're getting rid of prisons, but that you're trying to rebuild, not really rebuild at all. You're trying to imagine a completely new world where people are not funneled from birth into uh, death camps, into labor camps, into prisons. Um, and right. what does that take? What does that call for? And instead of even getting that perfect option where you're going to that dream space, you're going from where we are now. Mm-hmm. We're here right now. How yeah. do we how do we unwind all of the things that have gotten us here? Yeah. And I that mean, is not a question of the moment. It is totally a question <laughs> of the decade, <laughs> millennium, you name it. So, but I think the answer is actually something a good friend of mine said to me about building friendships, which is true about building relationships in general. Mm. You fertilize the garden. You do the work and you hope that it grows something. I mean, maybe you don't even hope. You just do the work. Right. And then you see what happens after that. You see what grows. And I think that that is kind of 
what you do with the abolition work. You start small with whatever you have and you try to help people however you can. Right. Whatever makes sense, whatever people's needs are at that time. And you just go from there in small networks together or alone. Yeah. I mean, I think of, of almost any group, anarchists are, are kind of built for this because we, we do work autonomously, but also in connected networks. We do, you know, we, we, we work well in, in small groups that are hyper-focused, but then can also put their heads up and, and, and pay attention to the other things that are going on around them in the, in the moments when we need to. We, um, you know, that we, that we, we have a long history of, you know, DIY, self-organizing, just yeah. doing that shit yourself and not waiting for permission and not being being worried about what the powers that be are going to do or say and, and, and not feeling like we have to wait and not like, oh, you know, all that, all the things that could very easily become bureaucratic gateways that slow you down in actually just getting to people and helping people get what they need. Um, so, oh my God, I'm feeling good about the anarchists in this context. I don't even know what to do with that. So, you know I can bring it out of you. Well, once in a blue moon. You know. So, with a question that we didn't know what to do with, we have done 20 minutes. Any, any final thoughts? Any closing sentiments? Free them all. Well, everyone else you, doesn't agree. You heard, you, you heard, you heard it here. Free them all. Thanks, Anarchy Land, for listening. Thank you, Post. Thank you, Tori. Uh, yeah, write a prisoner. Send them something they need. And you know me. Pick any prisoner. Just do just it. Do it. Um, any skill you have, any resource you have, just share it. Yep. Uh, take care of yourselves, Anarchy Land. Be safe, be strong, watch your back, stay angry. Until next time. Bye. Bye. This week's episode was sound edited by Octox. We thank our friends for discussing this week's topic of the week, Imagine Abolition. Thanks to Ariel, Tori, and Post.